Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's get our Bibles tonight and be turning to the book of Revelation. Appreciate young people preparing their lives to serve the Lord and serving the Lord while they're preparing their lives to serve the Lord. And there is no higher calling than serving the Lord. And God doesn't have the same plan for all of us, but he does have a plan for all of us. And we certainly want to serve him in that plan. Revelation chapter 17 is where we are tonight. And we're going to begin by reading just a few verses of that. And we will look at most of this chapter, maybe every verse tonight. We have been for some weeks, I'm just going to speak for a moment, give folks an opportunity to come in. We have been for uh, really several months teaching various uh, lessons and subjects having to do with end times. And this would go way back to lessons that we had months ago uh, about the rapture of believers, things of that nature. But we've been on the subject of the Great Tribulation or the Tribulation period that lasts seven years uh, for probably months in itself at different lessons. And we're just kind of, we're not doing verse by verse through the book of Revelation. But I think it's just good to study some of these subjects together. We're not going to be here, those of us who are saved, when this takes place. We're not going to be here. But this is where the world is headed. And, and to me personally, seeing where the world is headed based on the scripture helps me understand the world that we live in. And uh, so we'll see that tonight in Revelation chapter 17. So let's stand together, please, if you're able to stand. We'll read the first five verses. And just a couple of words of explanation as we begin reading here. But Revelation 17 and verse 1 it says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials. Now, if you just look back over in chapter 16 and verse 1, we covered this in our last message on Revelation. In verse 1 it says, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your way and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So chapter 16, we covered this about these vials of God's wrath that will be poured out during the tribulation period. Well, one of those angels in 17.1 comes to John, who's giving us this revelation. So one of those angels in 17.1, there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me. John is giving us his personal experience and talked with me, saying unto me, come hither I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now that's the the subject that we're going to deal with tonight. What John saw about this, this great whore and the judgment upon that great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. So whoever this great whore is that's going to be judged, they have been engaged with the kings of the earth. They're cooperating in unison together. And the inhabitants of the earth, not just the kings of the earth, verse 2, but the inhabitants of the earth, those who are on the earth at that time, have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman, talking about this subject here, this great whore, I saw a woman 
sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. This woman was riding this beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, describing the beast. We've seen that before. We'll dig into a little bit of that tonight. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, obviously very wealthy, extravagant, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. It's already called her a whore, but she has a family, offspring. She is the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So we're going to look at this together tonight. Hope you'll stay attentive and and, uh, trust the Lord will help us. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for this wonderful book. We thank you for the variety of truth that we find in this book. We have the history of creation, the history of your people, the period of the kings and the judges and the judgment against your people, their captivity. We have all this before us. We have the wonderful gospels that reveal the life and ministry of Christ upon this earth and the epistles to the churches Then we have this book of Revelation that you gave to John on the Isle of Patmos, a vision of things to come. So we read tonight, we want to take your word seriously. Father, I've never expected and anticipated to uh, know everything about everything that's in this book. But Lord, I pray you'd give us some things tonight that would help us understand your will for our life and your will for this planet and what's happening in the future. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to begin by identifying this entity, I'll call it an entity, that the Bible calls in verse 1 the great whore. Obviously, this entity extremely immoral. The angel refers to her as a prostitute. Um, in verse 2, there's two references to use of the words fornication. In verse 4, it used the word fornication. So it's talking about this great whore and her immorality. But this language that is being used uh, is not describing the unfaithfulness of a single woman. It's actually talking about the spiritual unfaithfulness of this entire world as far as God is concerned. If this was the only place we had this kind of language used, we may not be able to ascertain that. We may not be able to understand that. But this symbolism uh, is seen throughout the scripture, this picture of a sinful, fallen religious system. It is a system of religion that's idolatrous and ungodly. And God used this language, for instance, concerning his own people. Israel. In Isaiah 121, it says, How is the faithful city, talking about Jerusalem, how is the faithful city become an harlot? See the same language? 
This city of God's people has become a harlot. They're idolatrous. They're love, they have other lovers other than God. They love their idols. Uh, come back here. We'll come back to Revelation, but go with me, if you would, to the book of Jeremiah just for a moment. We were in Lamentations this morning, but in Jeremiah chapter 3, we see another case in point. There are many examples of this, and I just want to give a couple of them. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8, the prophet writes and said, And I saw when for all the causes, Jeremiah 3, 8, whereby backsliding Israel, the nation of Israel, their condition was backsliding, whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister, Judah, making a distinction there between the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel, her treacherous sister, Judah, feared not, but went and played the harlot also. This is a group of people, they were, uh, the identity being the people of God, and they've, they've played the harlot. Verse 9 says, And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. <clears throat> stones or stumps, stocks, pieces of wood were used to make idols. And he says that she's committed adultery, fornication, um, whoredom, Israel has with these idols. So can you see that this is not an uncommon occurrence where God uses immorality to describe the condition of his people. Matter of fact, there's a whole book of the Bible, Hosea, where God commanded Hosea to go out and marry a harlot, and she represented the um, immorality, the, the unfaithfulness, her unfaithfulness, Gomer's unfaithfulness to Hosea represented the unfaithfulness of God, God's people to himself. This is a common thing throughout the scripture. In the New Testament, in the book of James, it has, uses this language, you adulterers and adulteresses. Who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. Called them spiritual adulterers because they love the world. So when this, in this picture here in Revelation 17, let's go back to this. In this picture in Revelation 17, this is, we're going to see this is a religious system. This, this, this uh, great whore of Revelation 17.1 is not a woman, it's not an individual person, it's the religious system that's on the war, that will come encompass the world, an anti-God system, an anti-Christ system, religious system that will occupy the world after we're gone. It's, it's impossible for us to fully comprehend what, the, what vacuum will be present in this world when believers are gone. Just try to think about this. In, at some moment in time, it could happen while I'm speaking, at some moment in time, every true believer will instantly disappear from this planet. Jesus taught it. It's taught in the epistles. 
We call it the word rapture. is not a New Testament word. It's, it means to catch up. They're going to be caught up. We're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. But imagine what it's going to be like on this world when that happens. When all Christian influence is gone. When every believer disappears. You say, this is too much. This is fairy tales. You've, you've been reading too many books. I have been reading a book a lot. It's called the Bible. It's God's book, right? What's going to happen in this world? Imagine the, the vacuum, the wickedness, the vileness. the dece- Imagine the deception. There's so much deception now about religion, about Christianity, about truth, about the Bible. It's just going to be magnified many times over. So this is describing this uh, idolatry in this false church. The unfaithfulness of the woman in Revelation is spiritual harlotry. And what John is seeing here, God allowed John to see many things that are going to happen in the future. And what John is seeing is this, it's what I'm going to call last days, apostate, away from God, world religion. And I think there's intentionally, I think there's a contrast here between what we will cover in another lesson or two in chapter 19, which is, let's just look at that quickly. Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad. This is a scene in heaven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife, the Lamb's wife, hath made herself ready. And to her, the bride was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so we see the pure bride that will be presented to Jesus Christ in heaven. That's us. But as we've said in the book of Revelation, the devil always has his counterfeit. The counterfeit to that is this unfaithful bride, this great whore, this apostate Religion And how, how, how substantial, significant, widespread is this? Look in 17.1. Come hither, I will show thee the great judgment, or the judgment of the great whore. Notice the final phrase, that sitteth upon many waters. Now reading that, you might wonder, wonder what that means, sitteth upon many waters. Well, thankfully, it's, defend, it's defined for us. Look in chapter 17 and verse 15. He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. This great whore will sit upon many waters. You know what? All nations, all tongues, all all people groups will be a part of this. It's a worldwide church. You ever heard anybody talk about the last days, worldwide religion of the false church, the worldwide? That's what it's talking about. It's a, it, the scope is universal. The scope is worldwide. It's a satanic, antichrist religion. And you could say, well, why would religion be against Christ? Because everything in this world at that time will be against Christ. And so... That's what we're seeing described. 
And this worldwide religion, look in verse 2, it says, Whom the kings of the earth hath committed fornication. Again, that symbolism, the language there, but it's talking about a relationship between politics and religion. It would be like it was in the days of Rome. And when the Roman Empire was controlled by the Roman Catholic Church. It was, it was uh, the, the state and is a, the state and church joined together. And that's what he says in verse 2. The kings of the earth have committed fornication. Um, so this is what is described as this great whore. John saw in verse 3, he, it says that he carried me away in the spirit, this angel did into the wilderness, and I saw a woman. And this woman sat upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, if you haven't been in all these lessons, you might wonder about that beast, but we've already been introduced to that beast on more than one occasion. Go to chapter 13, for instance. And see if this doesn't sound like the same beast. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. This is talking about the Antichrist. This, this, and there it's talking about really a government system, a worldwide government, a new world order, if you would. And it's satanic. It's demonic. It's absolutely controlled by Satan. So this woman in chapter 17 and verse 3 is sitting upon this beast full of the names of blasphemy. Exactly what we saw about the Antichrist in chapter 13 and verse 1. Now try to imagine this if you could, and this would be helpful if you could. Try to imagine a worldwide religious system working in unison, in tandem with the Antichrist. That's what you have here. A worldwide religious system as a part of the last, last day's order and uh, working with the Antichrist. She's riding, in the, and she's, so this woman, is, this woman is riding a, we'll call it a political beast. That's what that, those horns and those... Um, Heads and the ten horns are talking about. So it's a, it's a political system full of blasphemy. Blasphemy is, is against God. No respect for God. And verse 4 describes her appearance. That she's, this harlot is adorned with lavish colors and jewels and gold and purple and scarlet and but her, in her hand, this cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So just of such a descriptive language. But verse 5 says she has a name on her forehead. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon. This is the name upon the forehead of this great whore. Mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots, the mother of harlots, and the abominations and abominations of 
the earth. Babylon is mentioned six times in the book of Revelation. And it talks here, Babylon is talking about a, a religious system. Chapter 18 is talking about a political or economic system. And I'm not going to cover 18 now. But, but if you looked at 18, it talks about how this worldwide Babylon, an economic system, will crash, will be destroyed. By the way, everything will be destroyed in this, in this section because God is going to judge the world. He's going to judge uh, the, the, the rebellion against God, and he's, going to, he's, going to, uh, he's just really going to judge the world in great tribulation and bring this all to an end. And that may seem kind of scary to some people, but it's going to be wonderful, really. For God to destroy this wicked world. The political system, the economic system, the religious system. So chapter 17 is talking about the religious culture aspect that will be dominated by the deceiver, by Satan. Now why, why Babylon? Why is it called mystery Babylon? Well, I want to just, just give a brief kind of uh, history about religious Babylon. So mark your place here in Revelation 17 and let's go over to the book of Genesis. And we're introduced for the first time in Genesis chapter 10 to a place called Babel and the origin of this system. Genesis chapter 10 and this is just after uh, the worldwide flood and we're getting, a, we're getting the generations of the children of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And verse 6 talks about the sons of Ham, one of the sons of Joseph. And it's going to, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but just notice uh, the, the genealogy of Ham. It says in verse 6, the sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim and Foot and Canaan, the sons of Cush. There you have them. And Cush, verse 8 says, begat Nimrod, who who is a famous uh, person in the Bible. Nimrod became a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Uh, the hunter here is a mighty hunter, of course, but Nimrod was the first mighty hunter before the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 9, Wherefore it is said, Even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom, Nimrod began a kingdom... And the beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel or Babylon. And it tells us, uh, it was in the last part of verse 10, in the, in the land of Shinar. And so now turn to Genesis chapter 11 and you'll see a familiar thing that happened in the land of Shinar. That's where Nimrod started his kingdom in Babel. Genesis 11, 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. We're not going to read every verse, but verse 4 it says, And they said, those who dwelt there in the land of Shinar, they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now on the surface that may seem innocent enough, but it's not. They're really, this is really a rebellion that's being mounted, and it's against God. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. 
And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they've imagined to do. Go to, God says, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now again, if that's all we ever knew about Babel or Babylon, we wouldn't have a lot to go on. But this is really the beginning of this great rebellion against God. And it was a rebellion against God. And it was a religious rebellion. And it was a rebellion of unification. We're all going to be united. We're all going to be, we'll, nobody will be able to conquer us. And this is the introduction to the beginning of Babylon. Um... I was, I was struck many years ago when I saw for the first time that the name Babylon is used in the Bible more than any other place in the Bible except for Jerusalem. There's only one other city more common in the Bible than Babylon. That tells us the significance of that place, the significance of that city. Babylon was a city which now in the area which is, we know as Iraq. We're really introduced to Babylon as a, as a political power in the days of the king Nebuchadnezzar who came against uh, Judah and conquered them. We talked about that this morning, about Jeremiah and the lamentation time. That was Babylon. It was a world empire. with, with wor- I mean, this is a part of history. It's not just Bible history. It's a part of, of all history. But it was also a religious system. That's the part that we want to focus on for a minute tonight. It was a religious system. A system built on idolatry. A system that the more I study, seems to me that many, if not all, of the ancient religions were based upon. They were idolatrous. They were pagan. They worshipped the planets. The planets. They were blasphemous. For instance, the Assyrian Empire... The capital of the Assyrian Empire was Nineveh. The Assyrian Empire was built upon many of the false beliefs of the Babylonian religion. We're familiar with the Baal worship. Are you familiar with that? Baal, worship of Baal, sun god in the, in the time of the Israelites' occupation or uh, conquering of Canaan. Baal worship was traced to Babylon. All these different false religions had their roots in Genesis 10 and 11 in this religious system. And this Babylonian idolatry has greatly influenced religions even unto this day. For instance, some of the traditions of the Roman Catholic religion can be traced to Babylonian worship. The worship of a a goddess, mother, was a part of the Babylonian worship. And the, and the religion of Rome took that and made Mary basically the equivalent of that Babylonian goddess. And if you, here's a very interesting thing. I've never been a Catholic. I know a lot of people who are Catholics or have been Catholics, but this is just a matter of fact. One of the terms that's used to describe 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, is the queen of heaven. The queen of heaven is used several times in the book of Jeremiah talking about these false pagan religions, the queen of heaven. And so when we read over in Revelation 17 about this mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots, we see a system that is given birth to many false systems in the world. Are you with me so far? Not exactly. <laughs> this, this woman, if you look in, let's go back to Revelation chapter 17, is headquartered in a city. Look in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 18. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So it tells us that this, there's a headquarters for this, this woman. And you say, well, what, what particular city could it be talking about? Let's, we'll look in Revelation 17 and verse, verse 9. It says, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. Seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Well, we could take a little pop quiz tonight. And who knows what is well known in, the, in history, go Google it sometime, as the city on seven hills. Who knows what it is? It's Rome. I believe that's what that's referring to. And really Rome has been responsible for so many false religions, even in our own day, we can see this. This is, again, a matter of history and a matter of knowing some things about the Bible. So this, so even among what, what are considered in our day um, Christian, I'm going to use the word, I'm going to give it quotes, Christian religions, the largest Christian religion in the world is Catholicism. And I put it in quotes because I don't consider it a Christian religion. They have a false gospel. They don't, have, they don't give the truth of the gospel. It's a, it's a works-based salvation. The whole, all the sacraments is works-based. And you say, well, I don't think you should say those things. Well, why? Because we're, just, we're, being, we're being factual. It's a false religion. And in and, and that, and that false religion, by the way, I'm not saying a person... You couldn't be a Catholic and be saved, but you can't be saved believing what Catholics believe because they don't believe in salvation by grace through faith. They believe in works. Amen. So Rome is this, this vile, Babylonian, depraved, abominable system that has been around, according to the Bible, just the history of the Bible, since almost since Noah's, no, when his family got off the ark almost, has influenced religions even today. You know, and you say, well, this, if you look in verse 3, it says that this beast and this woman is full of blasphemy. I want to tell you, the Roman religion is full of blasphemy. When you consider Mary a co-redemptress, that means that Mary is a co-redeemer along with Jesus, that is blasphemy. When you teach that you have to pray to Mary, through Mary, 
to get to God the Father's Son, that is blasphemy. When you, when you teach something that's completely contrary to the Bible, that the perpetual virginity of Mary, that she would always remain a virgin, the Bible made it clear that after Jesus was born, she had many other children. That's blasphemy. It's anti-Christ. And it's anti-God. And this false religion, we're just talking about one of them, but I'm kind of focusing on Catholicism because I believe it's referred to in this text. This religion has birthed many other false religions, particularly through the Reformation. You know, I know people hold some of the Reformers in high regard, and I appreciate the Reformers standing up to the Roman religion and saying that we believe in faith alone, the justification by faith. But some of those, when they left, they, st- they kept infant baptism. They kept many of those false traditions. So Babylon is given birth. Look what it says in verse 5. Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots. Babylon has given birth to many forms of false religion. Notice what it says in verse 6 of chapter 17. John says, and I saw the woman. Now, you're going to get a picture here of the vile corruption, the vile wickedness of this religious system. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration, great amazement. So this woman was drunken with the blood of saints. This false religious system is guilty of murdering the children of God. And I never heard this. I never read this. I was ignorant, uninformed when I became a Christian about church history. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything about church history. But when I began to study just what one false religion has done to the followers of Jesus Christ, slaughtering them by the millions. Not just one or two or a few. Many, many estimate that as many as 50 million true believers of Jesus were slaughtered in the name of a Christless, power, ego-driven bloodthirsty religion. That's a sad thing, isn't it? It's a part of history. And not just, you know, we exalt sometimes Protestants, but Protestants like Calvin, John Calvin, who was the founder, the leader of the Presbyterians, Protestants like Zwingli and Calvin killed many Anabaptists in their day. Killed them, slaughtered them, burned their cities. And, and so those, some of them didn't go by the name Baptist. They were called Albigenses or uh, different ones. But these were Baptists believed the Bible. They believed in salvation by grace alone. They believed the only baptism there was was by immersion after salvation. And these people were slaughtered for these things by religion. I saw a woman, verse 6, drunken with the blood of the saints 
and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. You know why John wondered at this? John wrote this in the first century. He wrote this long before these things began to materialize. He could not believe what he was seeing, that this ungodly world religion system that came out of Babylon that has spawned off many other false religions have martyred so many of God's people. He looked upon it with great amazement. I, I look upon it in great amazement. He wondered at the corruption of this evil religious system. That's what John was seeing. John was seeing this worldwide religious system. And what we're seeing here in Revelation 17 is the consummation, the fulfillment, the completion of what Nimrod wanted back in Genesis 10 and 11, a world system without God, controlling and worshiping without God. And it's not going to come to pass until all the believers are gone. And then they're going to have their way. And this system, as we see here, is, is opposed to Christianity. And it's not only opposed with Christianity, it's united with the government of the Antichrist. And I said this morning, and I'll repeat now, I think when we see where, where, the, where this is all headed, it helps us understand some of the things that are happening in our world. Amazing things. That are, that are really unique to our generation. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I would have, you know, when I, I've been saved now for 40 something years, I never would have dreamed when in the years, the time that I first got saved and was getting acquainted with spiritual things, that you would hear such, by religious people, you would hear such um, criticism of doctrine, minimizing of doctrine, saying doctrine doesn't really matter, let's forget our doctrine. I'm going to tell you, that's a bunch of nonsense. That's not based upon the Bible. That's not based upon the Word of God. And we're seeing this merging of evangelicals and cults, Islam, Catholics, it's been going on. It just continues to increase. And some people look at it and say, that's such a good thing. We're all getting along. We're all loving one another. I'm telling you where it's headed. Revelation 17 is where it's headed. I just recently uh, listened to a, a brief interview with a college-age woman. She was a Catholic and devout Catholic. Obviously devout, sincere in her belief. But this was her cause. She was, she was emphasizing the need to reconcile the commonality, the, the, the beliefs that Catholics and Islam, Muslims, can share in common. Doesn't that, isn't that beautiful? It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. And there are many things that are happening in our world that point to this. You just see them all over the place. You know, and there are things that, if you're not careful, things that we may think are innocent really could be a part of this universal movement 
I think, I think a lot of things that are happening in, in various religious circles are contributing to this. And people are swept up in it. They, they're swept up in this idea, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. We just all love the Lord and we all, you know, it doesn't, doctrine doesn't matter. I want to tell you, you, if you believe that, you don't know your Bible. You don't understand your Bible. I read a quote the other day from a renowned Catholic, Mother Teresa. She wrote this decades ago. This is what she said. In coming face to face with God, we accept him in our lives. Then we become a better Hindu, a better Muslim, a better Catholic, a better whatever we are. In other words, God will help you become a better Muslim. God will help you become a better Hindu. God will help you. I want to tell you, that's ridiculous. And it's that kind of blindness, that kind of deception, this, this, this paving the way for what we're reading about in Revelation chapter 17. I know that some people think that I'm overly cautious, but I'm very cautious about, about movements that are not based on the Bible. You know, I've been watching and following a very well-known, this may strike a chord with some of you, I know, well, some of you, this, the Hillsong, the whole Hillsong industry, which is really based out of a church, I, I, I call it a religious organization, it's not a church, in Australia, but it's spawned churches all over the place. I mean, many congregations, recordings, and different things. And, uh, and many people fought, go to that. I just read a story the other day about their, their uh, national conference, and there were 20 denominations there, including Baptists, so-called Baptists. But if you study that group, some of their musicals are blasphemous. I couldn't even describe in this setting some of the things that they do in their congregation. Some of their congregations openly are billed as gay-friendly congregations. And you know what Christians... Naive Christians do. They say, well, that's a good thing. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to, I'm going to take that in. You ought to be careful about it. And I'm not saying they're all antichrist. I'm just saying these are the things that tell me we're moving in this direction that John wrote about. I read an article about a former member of DC Talk. That's a contemporary Christian rock group. He was at, this writer was actually a graduate of Liberty University. It used to be Liberty Baptist College and Lynchburg's Jerry Falwell School. And this was a, and one day was considered a conservative place. He's a, he's, he's a contemporary rock singer out of that. Now he considers himself pro-lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, in his own words, pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-open-mindedness, anti-narrow-mindedness. These are the people, some of them, that are producing the music that probably some of you would say is okay music. And I'm just saying, all of this non-denominationalism, all of this is leading somewhere. And I'm not saying we're there, but that's where we're headed. So just read your Bible. We ought to be very concerned about that, and very cautious about that thing. A Christian television network said... 
and I quote, this is, a, this is a network, a host on a Christian network. He said, quote, It is time for Catholics and non-Catholics to come together as one in the Spirit and one in the Lord. You know, when I see, and I do see this, Christian music that's written by, by devout Catholics, devout Catholics, that believe everything that Catholics believe, I assume, that believe the blasphemous mass that teaches that the bread and blood literally become the body and blood of Jesus. And they're writing music and coming together with Baptists and Protestants and Catholics and we're worshiping together. You say, well, I just don't think you ought to be concerned about those things. I don't know how not to be concerned about those things. Amen. This is where it's headed. We're not there yet, but this is where it's headed. And if, and if all this is going on, if all this nonsense is going on in a day when the world is populated with sincere believers and still they're falling prey for me, what do you think it's going to be like when all of us are gone? That's what it's going to be like. In Revelation chapter 17. Let's look at a couple other verses and we'll be done. Verse, verse 7, it says, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? The angel said to John, I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth have wonder whose names are not written in the book of life. See, those people on the earth are unsaved. Their names are not written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. We already read this. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. I have my, my view about what those seven kings are. It says five are fallen. They preceded us. One is. I think they're talking about different empires. Like the empire of Alexander the Great. The empire of the Babylonian Empire. The Assyrian Empire. The Greeks and per, the Persian. And uh, Cyrus king of Persia. And that empire. The one that is, I believe, is Rome. There are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is. There's different opinion about that. And and I'm not going to spend much time on that. The other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. The beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the, seven, ten, the ten horns are different, which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive the power as kings one hour with the beast. I believe these ten horns, ten kings, are going to be ten world leaders at that time. I don't know where they're going to come from. I don't know where they're going to reign. Nobody knows that. I think it's very interesting, though, that over the course of the last several months, I've read more than one article where there's talk about in this globalistic world we live in of, of dividing the whole world into ten various sections. That's interesting to me, and I don't know if that... Who knows? You, you're, you're wrong to try to specify this is who this is and this is what this is. But I'm just telling you, there are going to be ten world leaders at that time. And verse 13 says, These have one mind. They're all in agreement. 
and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So then they're all going to give their loyalty to the beast, this unified world government and unified world religion. And we must look at verse 14. These, all of these, the beasts, the kings, all of these shall make war with the lamb. That's going to be something, isn't it? They're going to make war with the lamb. You say, when's that going to happen? I believe that's talking about the battle of Armageddon. They're going to make war with the lamb. Guess who's going to win? And the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him, that's us, are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest, where I read this, where the whore sitteth, and where the peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So, so we're, that's going to happen. John says all these things are going to happen. But now notice this, verse 16. And the ten horns which very well represent the world leaders at that time. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, shall, these shall hate the whore and make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. This unified world government led by the Antichrist are going to turn against the religious system. And on, on the surface, we might think, well, why would they do that? I mean, I, don't, I personally don't think the whole world could be united around the Antichrist if it were not for the religious support and help. By the way, I've been thinking about this. You know, we think the world is becoming less and less religious, but I've been thinking, I'm not sure that's true. I think they're becoming more religious. They're just not more Christian. I think environmentalism is a religion. I think these things are a part of the religion of our world, this globalistic society. So why then would the Antichrist destroy the apostate religion? And here's my answer. It may not be the right answer, but it's my answer. Because the Antichrist, in the end, we've already read this, will demand the worship of every man. And all, the, according to the Bible, all the world, all the people of the world will worship him. Because he's going he's to establish himself on the throne, in the, establish himself in the temple as, the, as being God. The Bible tells us that. He's going to do that. And he's going to demand the worship of every people, of all the people. So, so they turn, they're going to turn against this whore. And, and notice what it says in verse 17. Here's you a great testimony of the providence and power of God. For God hath put in their hearts, talking about those kings. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he will. God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So God's going to use the kings and the antichrist to carry out his will. And this one world religion will be destroyed by the antichrist and by this confederate government. So, that's my take 
on the judgment. That's the judgment. Remember what he started off with? What he said in verse 1, he's going to, the angel is going to tell John about the judgment of the great whore. And it describes this great religious system, but here's her judgment. She will be taken from the earth. She will be, uh, her power will be taken from her. Now, some people have different ideas about things like this. I know there are a lot of people who, I won't say turn a deaf ear, but they're disinterested. And the reason is because they, they think it doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to be here. It doesn't apply to me. But I, I take, have a different take. My take is this. If it's in the Bible, it's for all of us. God wants us to know what the Bible says. God, wants, God put it in the Bible so we would know. So we would take it. So if you're sitting here thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nudge, push back against that and say it applies to every one of us. And it helps me. Not because I'm going to be here. I'm not going to be here. But here's why it helps me. It helps me understand that this great phenomenon we're witnessing before us is all a part of the system. And, and, and even believers are buying into it. Like it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. You say, are you anti-Catholic? I'm not anti-Catholic. I'm anti-anything I'm anti religion that's against God. I'm, I'm pro-truth. We're, we're for the word of God. Things that are different cannot be the same. And if you say, well, you know, I, I think if a person was a Catholic and they hear this and be offended, I'd hope not. I would hope, I would hope that if a person, if I was in error and somebody would preach the truth, that I would listen to it and say, you know, I never thought about that. I never saw that. Like I said, when I got saved, I wasn't, I didn't know about any of this stuff, right? It's been an awakening for me. But I'm telling you, we're getting way down the road toward what Revelation 17 is talking about. It won't happen as long as we're here, but we could be gone tonight. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Amen. So if you're here tonight and you're saved, if you're born again, you didn't get saved because you're a Baptist or because you're a Catholic or because you're a Lutheran. If you're saved, you got saved because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Right? Nobody ever got saved because of their religion. People are saved because they come to the cross. All are welcome, as the song we heard. All are welcome at the cross. If you've never come to the cross, then you're not saved. You, I don't mean literally go to Jerusalem or literally find I'm talking about come to, by faith in what Jesus did on the cross. If you've never done that, you need to do that. You ought to do that. That's the only way to be born again. If you are saved, let's thank God that we're saved. But let's, let's be committed to the truth. To buy the truth and sell it not. Isn't that a great verse from Proverbs? Buy the truth and sell it not. Be committed to the truth. I want to live by the truth. Live by the word of God. I want to learn the Bible. I want to try to study the Bible. I want to apply the Bible to my life. If I met a person, and I, we do meet people like this. We know people like this. If I met a person that is into every kind of music I'm not into and reads a Bible that I don't think is a good translation, 
I'm not going to point out everything about them that's wrong. I'm going to try to befriend them and help them. Let them see. I look for opportunities to show them there's a better way. Amen? That's the way we ought to be. We ought to be kind and loving, but we ought to be committed to the truth. Things that are different are not the same. So we ought to be committed to the truth and to knowing the truth. And... Let's pray. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. With our heads bowed this evening, with our eyes closed, Our Father, as we pray tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, as we begin the service and the, the, the message, we thank you for giving us the Bible, for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, for the, the mysteries that are not mysterious, but they're things that were not clear, even as the gospel is clear called a mystery in the epistles. It wasn't clear in the Old Testament era. In mystery Babylon, things that weren't clear but have become much more clear. We thank you for that. We thank you for the insight that Revelation gives us. And Father, we live in a world we know that's governed by a wicked system spiritually. And we pray that as your children, Lord, you'd give us wisdom, you'd give us direction, you'd give us discernment about what you have for us. God, I pray for that. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us in these days which, you know, to us just seem like we're just on a fast track to the fulfillment of the things we read about tonight and these weeks prior Help us as your children to be light, salt. Help us to be guided by truth and not by our emotions, our feelings, but by the word of God, we pray. And, and help us to help others, Lord, who have maybe never thought about the danger of some of these false religions. So I pray for that. Pray you